0: A on ASA. Oh my gosh,
1: ASA. are all going against the
2: wind. It was basically
1: a cube with inside of sphere, where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon.
3: That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Welcome back to That UFO Podcast. This is the listener call-in number four, part two, and we are going to head straight over to Australia we had a really international flavour and mix on the last podcast as well. So we have an Englishman living out in Oz. We've got Mike on the line. Mike, how are you doing today?
2: Very well, Andy. How
3: are you? Very well, very well. Uh, looking forward to this. So, open lines it is over to you. What we're we talking about?
2: Well, firstly, I just want to say, you know, thank you, Andy, for uh, you know for the opportunity, really, to talk to you on this uh, on the UFO podcast. Um, I found you uh, last year on uh, Spotify and um, early sort of last year i think you just started to upload uh, a few bits and pieces and um yeah look we're in lockdowns uh, in melbourne um, back in last year and uh, your podcast certainly helped me through those on long beach walks listening through you know all your updates so um, i think since then i've you know signed up to patreon and i'm really enjoying um the uh, the discord server so um yeah no i'm great thanks i'm deep down in melbourne it's um about 9 p.m at night now and uh we're in lockdown number five, Andy. So you help me through these ones as well. Ouch!
3: Uh, but no, thank you for that. And that was a good advert for the the Patreon and dis- the Discord and everything as well. So, but yeah, the the Discord server that you get has been part of Patreon's been fun to speak to everyone on, and it's a good little chat community going on in there as well. So away from the hustle and bustle, and not everyone's on Twitter, so it's good to kind of speak to speak to more people in there too. So that that's great. And people like yourself have reached out from all over the world to say they've enjoyed the podcast through pandemic and all that kind of stuff and totally honestly with without the pandemic I probably wouldn't have started it or, or had the the notion or the time to really do that back at the start so if, if anything good has come of it for me that's this has been a big plus so glad you've enjoyed it and uh, there's been a lot going on the last the last year last 15 months so what we're we talking
2: about today yeah well I, it's a really good point actually I think um, you know I've been intrigued with um, you know this whole Space, stars, and planets. Since I was a kid, my dad bought me a, a book on the universe when I was about six, and I remember reading all of that. And I think I know everything about neutron stars and you know nebulas and black holes, and I know all about Venus. And you name anything, I think my mates would tell me that I'm not a scientist. I'm a retailer, but you know I, I know enough to um to get me around to any conversation. But I think um if I'm honest, you know your podcast and then the release of those you know those videos that go faster gimbal and the TikTok. Um, and then Joe Rogan's podcast with um, David Fravor and then Bob Lazar really sort of spurred my interest and if I'm honest I've been pretty addicted um, you know ever since really and and one thing I really appreciate uh, with your podcast and I I will talk about the the discord for a second because you know I'm quite new to Twitter I've been on there about six months now and um, hashtag UFO Twitter is a really good place to go to but what I like about what you set up with the Patreon and then go on to Discord is it's a um, obviously it's a smaller group of people, but it's a bit more focused and um, you've got a really good community there, Andy, which, um, you know, is good fun, but there, it is quite focused on the phenomenon, which, um, you know, there's no drama on there. It, it is factual and, and I quite like the debates on there, Andy.
3: Yeah, I, like you say, it's a bit more streamlined and focused and it was that at the start that we're all adults. Let's all just enjoy the conversation and people bring up some really good thoughts and ideas and it's it's another place for me to go and check but it, it's good because I, I like some of the links that get put in there or people find different articles or you know and the, the twitter feeds can be huge to scroll through as well which is great and all the mentions and likes and stuff you get but um yeah the, the discord's pretty good uh which you get from like you say sign up to the patreon uh and it's just from any level on there as well which good little community and also we've, we've kind of started branching off haven't we to it There's a sports section for because some of the people were talking about sport and just to keep it purely phenomenon related chat we've done that as well and uh obviously dan has just joined it finally after a lot of convincing but he's on there as well so it's good to see dan conversing on the discord it is
2: actually and it's good to see dan trying to sell property um next to (laughs) as well yeah (laughs) yeah, but I,
3: I I won't go into detail. If anyone wants to see what we're talking about with Dan selling retail, yeah, you might want to check that one out.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, like I'm I'm really uh, you know I'm really enjoying it, and um, you know just a big thank you to both yourself and Dan for uh, making it so authentic. And you know, you we know you, you we you both bring you know both your full personalities to this, and uh, it's kind of like sometimes when I'm in the car doing a drive or or you know going for a walk, etc. And um, I've got the podcast going. It's a bit like being in the pub, really, having a beer and talking. And that's what I quite like about what you've set up. It's a relaxed um, podcast. And I'm really enjoying some of the guests um, you've had on. I suppose I've just got a question, Andy. I think um, I picked it up on the Fade to Black um, radio show with uh, Ross Coulfart. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've got him on soon. I think you mentioned it once that you might have him on soon.
3: Yeah, in the next week, two weeks at most, it uh, it should be Ross on the podcast. Yeah.
2: Oh, brilliant I'm just really enjoying him on various different podcasts that he's managed to jump on I know he's coming on yours soon then so um he's got a really good summary of 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 obviously he's been on 60 Minutes Australia and is a well famous journalist but he's um he's really got underneath a few things and has got some contacts it's been quite interesting having his quite recent sort of frame on a, a number of different uh, aspects of the phenomenon especially around um you know the Australian side of things but we're living here for a couple of years the naval base is here and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been quite interesting, especially around the uh, reverse engineering side of the UFO phenomenon. So, yeah, one, one I'm really looking forward to, um, to Andy, when you get him on.
3: What's it like out in Australia in terms of the tone of the conversation? I, I talk a lot, a lot about the UK and how there's, there's no appetite for the conversation. It's not covered well or, or properly on the news or by the media. It's kind of small indications that's changing
2: very slightly, very slowly. But what's it like out in Australia? I have to say, it's, disappointingly, it's it's exactly the same. There's the odd thing on um, on Amazon Prime. I think it's Australian skies. Um, there's yeah, I think Ross has obviously come out of the um, the woodwork a little bit and been quite forthcoming with a few bits and pieces. But if I'm honest, if you were to mention it to any of my friends that I've made here, it's it's kind of the taboo subject still. Whereas I think if you are if you look where America is, I think the Australia's lined up next to the UK. I think we're just waiting to be told it's okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I was, um, I was just really wanting to, uh, just to, you know, discuss. I mean, lots of different things, as you'd imagine. But I think there's, there's one thing which I don't think's had enough airtime. Having, you know, really getting into this over the last, you know, probably 18 months now through this podcast and you know the free videos that, you know, were released uh, from the Pentagon. What that's really sort of spurred my interest is the actual physical uh, meta materials and the ultra materials. And I, and I don't know, um, Andy, if you've got anything, any plans to really talk, deep dive physically what we've got on the planet in terms of these um, atomically produced metals that, you know, I think it was uh, Dr. Hal Putoff has, has done a video on YouTube, which if you just Google him, you'll, you'll you'll see the video. It's about two and a half hours long, but he sort of breaks down the whole phenomenon from his perspective uh, and then does a big Q&A session at the end. And, you know, it does take a, a number of questions, uh, on the phenomenon, but really does go into detail on the on the uh, the ultra materials and the meta materials that are in possession. So, I don't know what your view is on um, you know why we're probably not indexing on something we can physically touch.
3: Do you know it's, it's a really interesting one? It's a good good point because we had the the phenomenon documentary dropped with James Fox, and James Fox, I'm interviewing him next week, and I'll, I'll talk about this with him, um, which is really timely, but. Jack Vallée obviously came in at the, towards the tail end of the documentary holding the samples of materials. Um, we seen an unidentified Luella Zondo with a briefcase that contained potential materials. So we're hearing there's all this stuff being analysed, but we've not heard any more about it. I know Te- Touristars Stars Academy had that contract with the US government that caused a lot of controversy. And they were supposed to be, you know, in talks together regarding an analysis of material. Nothing came of that. I don't even know if that's still still binding or still going, given Lou and Chris and and those those people left to the Stars Academy. Um, and then also the Jacques Vallée book that just came out with Paola Harris. Everyone thought that was potentially going to be around the materials or have stuff about the materials, and it turned out to be this whole collaborative piece about an event that happened in New Mexico in the 40s which I think threw a lot of people so we still seem to be waiting but like you say it's one of those things that seems to come out and nothing really happens in terms of any follow-up with it um, so I'd be interested in asking James Fox a little bit about that um, but yeah the, the materials question it's an odd one um, because when they analyze it Maybe it's a case of, and I think it's is it um, bismuth, magnesium, and the way it's layered and things like that. I suppose That's you've got the, the base level of, they're analysing the material. And again, I'm not a scientist, so I'm doing this in the way I sort of understand it. And they find out it has certain properties that if you pass, for example, a current through it, it behaves differently. Or if you, you remember Ghostbusters, when they shoot the pink slime everywhere, and they play the music, and it comes to life, right? So some there's a cause and effect for different things. So maybe whatever they're doing to this material, it has different reactions. But then from there, we never hear anything as to what are they doing to it, and then what's it doing? Would we even understand or necessarily care if we heard what it does? Because these, these bits of material are relatively small. I suppose what we are looking for is, do they pass an electric current through it, and it hovers in midair? probably not what happens to be honest is it um and even then with the material side of things if i put on my skeptics hat for a moment how does some of this stuff fall off the craft and i know they've talked about potentially it comes out of different propulsion systems but then we hear that they for the most part don't have propulsion systems you know I, i wouldn't expect bits of the craft fall off or chip away so are you saying these bits of material are from craft that have crashed? Maybe I, I I don't know, but what do you think with it? What's what are your thoughts? What would you like to see? Yeah,
2: it's your face. Some uh, and your mind just goes off when you when you when you get to this, and and one of the pieces that that isn't a public domain because most of it sort of you know wraps up in you know deep government uh, probably uh, you know safes etc. But there, there's one piece that Dr. Hal Putter talks through on, on this uh, piece, and it's a piece that was handed. I believe from the 1940s, 1950s, it was handed to to somebody and said so my granddad gave this to me, et cetera. And it's the piece you were talking about. And Linda Mountain Howe had it. Um, and she really did spend quite a bit of money analysing it. And, you know, this was a, you know, a few decades ago, but it turned out there was layers of bismuth um, yeah. and then layers of uh, magnesium. And I think the bismuth was 3 microns thick and the magnesium was 150 microns thick. And look, I'm not a scientist either, but, you know, this is the bismuth was less than a human hair. And this was atomically layered, layer by layer by layer. But it also had uh, ripples in it like, it, like it had been crashed. So it was supposed to be from a crash craft. And what he shows on the screen on the YouTube video, and it um, you know, shows that it's had an impact. And basically, it's terahertz, right? So apparently, mm. if you... Basically, at the time when it was analysed, they had no idea what it was. As science moved on, you know, some decades later, a, a separate study said, if you layered... Uh, bismuth and then layered, you know, magnesium at these micron levels on top of each other, and applied terahertz at five terahertz through it. What you'll get is a waveguide, and it just happened that the previous science had been done on this piece of metal, and it, and they and they lined them both up, and um, you know, Dr. Hal Patov talks this through, you know, quite clearly, and it's stuff like that that I just sit here and scratch my head and go, it's something that he clearly said. Lots of investigation happened back then. We did not have the technology to do it. We still don't have the technology to do it. And if we did, it would cost billions. So one, why, what is it? Two, why is it here? Where does it come from? And three, what sort of factory does that, what, your mind just goes off and what would that look like in space to, to build something like that? And I think you're quite right in the phenomenon. And, I, and I've watched James Fox on a few um, different interviews. And, and he did say in one of his interviews that he had to cut down that segment in the movie um I think it was Gary Nolan was the scientist in the, the in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And and he said he had to cut back some of the, he had to edit it because there was some stuff there that was shared on camera that he he couldn't fit in the film because it was a bit of an overshare if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. And that just sends your brain off even more when you hear that. Um but they the, the they were using a multi-parameter iron beam imager which it, it literally gets down to the atomic level. And in Doctor uh, Jacques Vallee's words, well, you cannot fake that. You cannot fake it at, at the atomic level. And something like 250 isotopes that this race or whatever built this metal was using, and, and we're only using sort of 80 elements. And whoever this is is using 253 isotopes. So whatever this is, whoever made it, it it's not it's not known to us uh, um, in terms of our current science. So yeah, if you really prod him on that, that would be super interesting, Andy.
3: Yeah, good, good point, good call. I'll uh, I'll speak to James about that later on next week.
2: Yeah, great. And the only, the only the one other piece that it really interests me, and you know, I I think the bit that really sort of uh, floats my boat, if you like, is is the physical stuff. I'm into. I'm I'm slowly, sh- surely coming on board with the consciousness side of side of things. I think you know the Bob Lazar and. Um, the whole piece around everything about his story is, is very interesting, but I think the piece that really gets me is the is the reverse engineering uh side of um some potential alien tech um that's on the planet and I went down the rabbit hole here, like we probably all have done with the admiral Wilson documents yeah. um, which is clearly referenced in there from Dr. Eric Davis and his conversation with Admiral Wilson around the frustration of not having access to these these programs and again if you if you listen to that Dr Hal Puttoff uh video it's about two hours 20 minutes long there's some questions at the end where he's directly asked questions about it he says I can't answer that question because those programs are still continuing I'm just so curious and and there's some stuff as well in the uh, I think it's the Colonel Truro I think it's the um the whole piece around fiber optics and where fiber optics came from I don't know what your view is um, Andy, around, you know, what's your view? Do you think we've got, you know, a crashed alien craft? Do you think we're reverse engineering it? And and do you think it's something which is under so much wraps and in private industry maybe that that we're never going to know? What, what's your view?
3: Uh, yeah, I do think we do have a crashed alien or ET or UT or whatever it's came from craft, something that's not human, um, probably multiple versions of them. I reckon they they tried to back-engineer bits of it, and I think it's like that idea of, you know, if you put a like a motorbike back in the 1600s, they're never going to get it started and be able to ride the motorbike around, but they might take bits of it off and work out small pieces of it, uh, or they might kind of use them for their own means, you know, the wheels, stuff like that. So I imagine we've, we've managed to reverse-engineer pieces and exploit that for our technologies. And like you say it wasn't too long after Roswell where you had things like the microchips suddenly developed to incredible levels and, you know, computers, fiber optics, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, a. Uh, I think we've got aspects of our technology that's come from things we've found or discovered or, or has been crashed either accidentally or deliberately as, as some of it may seem.
2: Yeah. I, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head really. I think it's, uh, who gets it first you know if it's it's like a a cold cold war if you like in terms of um you know whether you know russia's got it china's got it you know if the five eyes have access to it it's who can reverse engineer it first and i think it's one thing that really really gets my mind going is when we got the um the pentagon document uh, i know it's a preliminary document there'd be more to come but When you look at that document, it's it's dated from 2004, right, which is when we had the Tic Tac incident and, Mm -hmm. you know, you for instance, since then we've had, you know, USS Kidd, we've had, you know, activity around the California's Channel Islands. I just can't believe, right, with the world's uh, defense that we've got, you know, we've got all sorts of different technology, air to um, land missiles, et cetera, that we haven't shot something down since 2004, if, if, and what, what, what's your view? Do you think we've managed to get something in the last you know, 17 years? Do you think we've managed to get something and, we, and we've hidden it away? What, what's your view?
3: I don't know, because if, especially since then, if they've had an idea of potentially what they might be dealing with, is there an instruction to not engage with it? And that's why they send fighter pilots to to just have a look at them or, or maybe they know that if they send up some, you know, F-18s and F-17s or MIGs or whatever the jets would be, that it'll not scare them off, but they'll they'll move or they'll go. Um, then, uh, again, it's that age-old, do any of our weapons even do anything against these? Uh, and that's where you're looking at, like, EMPs, electrical magnetic pulse, you know, does that disrupt the, the systems? Um, and, again, go back to Unidentified, when they had that meeting with the Italians, and they were taught, one of the gents was mentioning how different frequencies are how they were communicating with these craft. Um, and, and Ross Coulter, on that interview with Jimmy Church, was mentioning that the US now has for some time been able to track these objects as well. So is it worth even engaging with these when they don't seem to be engaging in a harmful way with the military? Uh, not that we hear of anyway, so... I I don't know if they even would attempt to to shoot one down because you really don't know what you're starting then, do you?
2: No, you don't. But we're not. You know, the Five Eyes are not the only people with nuclear powered, um, you know, seafaring yeah. military. You could have a, a random, you know, a sergeant or whatever, a general, one of these Iranian boats or whatever. Any country you can name, and someone makes the wrong call. Um, the other thing is what well about these crashed UFOs? I had a conversation with a friend who said, why would they crash? how could you travel the space of, uh, you know, part, you know, from a local star to here, you know, I don't know, 20 light years or whatever, and then crash. I, I think the answer to that will be, well, you know, I think I've used the analogy before, like, you know, you can drive all the way to, you know, I, I use my English now, you know, uh, up a motorway and drive to a Tesco's car park and drive 30 miles and then make a mistake and crash in the car park because yeah. something's distracting. I think, you know, the gravity on planet Earth is not constant. There's There's pockets, which is slightly more confusing and it might be slightly higher and you get these pockets of random gravity field. And then second to that, you can get distracted. There's a lot to be distracted by on planet earth. But I'm just surprised that if somebody can go from 50,000 feet to 500 feet in less than a second, one small mistake, um, you, you've got an accident. I, I I'd be amazed if we haven't got something in the last 17 years. Um, yeah, it, it just, these are the sort of things I think about Andy. It's probably your fault because you've set my mind off of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listen,
3: I, I, I do it too. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that on the next call sometime, Mikey. But uh, that was a really good yeah. call, mate. I appreciate that.
2: No, perfect. I really enjoyed it. And uh, keep up the great work and uh, say hi to Dan as well, won't you, for me?
3: Certainly will. I'll, I'll make sure he's on next time. He just wasn't available this weekend to record. So, um, But he'll be on the next one.
2: No problem. Well, enjoy and keep up the great work. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Cheers, Mike.
3: Moving on to our second call, we are going stateside to Tim. Tim, how are we?
4: Good, Andy. Thanks for having me on again.
3: No, absolute pleasure. Good to see repeat callers already coming back on. Um, Open line format. So what are we talking about, Tim?
4: Yeah, so, you know, I've got a handful of things that I kind of whittled down to talk to you today. Um, I think the main thing I'd like to cover with you is... um, Lockheed Martin's involvement with craft retrievals and with mm. any kind of exotic materials. Um, I know that there's a lot of conjecture out there about, uh, a lot of different companies that may or may not have their hands in some of the crash retrieval efforts that have happened or, or, you know, uh, having some onus of some of these exotic materials we continue to hear about. Um, I feel that there's a very strong case to be made at this point that Lockheed Martin, um, is the sole proprietor of this material or is at least the primary proprietor of this material um, via some of these crash, mat- crash retrieval programs that have been mentioned by folks like Eric Davis. Um, you know, Lou has even mentioned this um, and, and others. So I wanted to kind of hit on a few things here and, and then you can jump in wherever you you know want to add any any uh, ancillary information and, and we can kind of go from there. How's that sound?
3: Yeah, please go for it. And I, I don't disagree straight off the bat. So, yeah, go on.
4: Awesome. Um, so. I, I, I feel that Lockheed is definitely um, the most likely of all government contractors to hold this material. And I'm just going to give you a quick background of why I think that um, most people you know, who are listening to this, this show probably understand that um, you know, Senator Harry Reid was quoted um, in The New Yorker this year as saying that he was told for years that Lockheed had some of this material. And I think that there's, you know, uh, there's a lot of strong ed- evidence for that. Um, I think that the main thing I also want to mention is the Davis-Wilson memo. Um, there was a great rundown by one of your contemporaries um, on Project Unity, uh, where he went through the Wilson-Davis uh, Wilson memo um, with uh, so-called Mr. X. Um, you know, they were talking about these crash retrieval programs and, and about the, you know, the nature of where they live in these special access programs. Um, Eric Davis asked verbatim, you know, who is the project contractor? Uh, for this you know or the u.s government agency um that runs the program wilson said it's an aerospace contractor one of the top davis said who and wilson said it's a core secret i can't go into that eric davis responded by saying is it a defense contractor and wilson said yes it's the best one of them Um, if you do any research into who the military and, and uh you know intelligence community think the best defense contractor and aerospace contractor is it is without a doubt lockheed martin um i think that that goes across the board across these communities um One other thing I want to mention is that last week, Lou Elizondo was actually on Fade to Black with Jimmy Church. You probably listened to this. And he, you know, Jimmy was referencing, um, you know, getting the government to reveal exactly what it knows about crush retrievals and these exotic materials. And, uh, You know, Lou basically said, well, I believe once again that the US and its affiliates, meaning contractors, have some very exotic materials in their possession. So if you're going to petition or solicit the government to reveal this information, you're going to have to lump in all of their contractors as well. Um, I think that that's a really strong indication from Lou that uh, this stuff is being held by the private sector. Now, to those of us in the know, this is not a surprise. But um, I think I'm getting to a point where I'm beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have this stuff. Um, I don't know, as a U.S. citizen, what kind of power or sway we have to, um, you know, petition or solicit this information from a company like Lockheed or how we would even get to the bottom of it. My feeling is that um, the bottom line has to be affected first. Um, and before you respond, Andy, I'll just interject with one last thing here. Steve Justice, back in 2015, is on the record as saying that, um, you know, Lockheed Skunk Works is has been pivotal in developing, you know, aeronautics technology over the last, you know, 60 years, 50, 60 years. But they're currently being given a run for their money by companies like SpaceX and other private sector competitors who don't necessarily need big government contracts to do their work. Um, Steve Justice, who was running that program in 2015, said, you know, Lockheed's really got to step up their game to in order to secure funding in the next decade. Um. So I'm also wondering what you think about that portion of this and whether or not that's playing into any of the narrative now around why this is coming out um, and how that could relate to, um, you know, Lockheed in particular and just those figures in the government like Lou and Chris and Steve who are at the forefront of this conversation.
3: Yeah, it's really good points and obviously well researched as well. Um, I don't think we can get that information. I think that's why they've been so clever in in getting rid of it on their own hands. Like, I think the days of you know any air force bases having crash retrievals or stuff like that are material is is gone, and it's all in the hand of these third parties because I'm, I'm sure it's a really easy way to circumnavigate FOIA requests, and because you can you can honestly say we don't have anything like that. I thought it was crazy a few weeks ago when one of the journalists asked the presser at the white house about having crashed UFOs. And you're like, why would you even ask the press guy? Why would he even know that for a start? But the thing is you can now honestly go to a lot of these higher ranking, you know, departments and ask them and they could probably honestly tell you, no, we don't have anything like that because they don't. And if it goes back decades and decades and decades, then what does that process even look like that, If there is right now uh, a crash out in the middle of New Mexico, what's the process for that being cleared up? Is it detected coming into the atmosphere? Is it a case of, you know, there's been a local call, we send out a military-looking group that aren't necessarily the military, and it's like a a group part of Lockheed Martin, a security group, something like that. There'd be a lot of questions for me around how that would even look. And I think ultimately it goes back to the the idea, though, of, of how do we get the info from them? and we can't, they would have to to voluntarily give that up somehow. And I think you said about the bottom line being affected, and you start talking money, you start talking... And maybe this goes into something you said, and this is just me thinking out loud now, that if you have other people who are competing for those types of contracts, and if we're getting into you know reverse engineering, um, producing stuff like this en masse, reproducing stuff like this, then SpaceX, Boeing... Um, even Virgin Galactic, just a few days ago, kind of putting their 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 ticket in the hat for we can go into space now. The arguments whether they went into space or not are, are obviously out there, but <laughs> they are obviously developing craft for commercial spaceflight. So, if any of these groups start to lobby and petition, maybe they can win that. But then, is this a subject that isn't really to do about the financial or monetary side of it with those within the U.S. government who have kind of leased this this out? Care about any financial contract, or is it a case of we just need this kept secret and we just need this worked on? So, is it a case of the people who have it, i.e., Lockheed Martin, they've they've had this stuff and worked on it? How would you then take that off of them to pass it on to someone else? Because that's a pretty hot potato to pass on to someone else.
4: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with you, Andy. I think that. For most of us, when you consider the phenomenon as a nuts and bolts phenomenon, uh, that side of it, um, any kind of physical debris and or intact craft is the holy grail of this conversation, Um, because that's a different jumping off point. Uh, You get past the point of refusal of saying, is this something that is actually physically here? Is this real? Is this something that's manufactured? That answers all of it. So, no doubt the keys to this kingdom are being held very tightly. Um, and I agree with you that the financial motivation, especially for a company like Lock- Lockheed that has incredible resource um, over time and, and in the, into the future, that's probably not going to be a key motivation for them to um, you know, offer any kind of transparency on what they have done or, or, you know, what this looks like in their hands or, or, you know, what they know about it so far. And they might not know much, you know, like they might be, they might have had 75 years to re-engineer this stuff and might not have gotten anywhere. So I, my guess is it's infinitely more complex than my understanding is. But um, that gets us into the next part of the conversation. And I think it was on your, your caller, the last caller session I was in on, on a caller number three on your show, I think you had a guest uh, at the end of it called Nathan, and he brought up a great point that the government seems to be positioning itself now to be in a place of discovery of the phenomenon alongside with the public. Um, So they're not trying to erase all of the years of sightings and reports and all of the knowledge that they they have, all the studies that they've done in public or in secret. Um, But now they're reframing the conversation. To, you know, this this kind of binary discovery side by side with with the public that they're starting anew, 2004 on. I think that that's a relevant point here. And if that is the case, how is it going to reflect on Lockheed Martin? Are they just going to you know these companies that maybe had this material? Can they just wipe the slate clean and say, well, we didn't even start to understand this stuff until 2004, and oh yeah, we had some stuff from that year, or you know whatever it was. Do they get more of a pass as time goes on? Because it's kind of a distraction of look over here. This is a new thing. This is a new field of study. And we're starting to take it seriously. Back then, we didn't take it seriously at all. So it doesn't matter. Um, I'm not saying that's the case. But I do find it interesting that that is something that, that uh, is in the narrative right now. And and I listen to Chris and Lou and and Eric Davis and Hal and, and uh, Steve Justice very carefully. Because I think that these guys really do have our best intentions at heart, but I also think that the strategy that they're using um, for, you know, this type of disclosure is so much more evolved than we can understand. Um, I think that everything that they do and they put out publicly is very well thought out from inception to execution, uh, you know, and and to the reverberations that it's going to have on any community, even if it's just folks like us who have been looking at this this subject for a long time. So uh, I think that that's something to consider is what does that mean if the public gets to discover this together with uh, you know with the government or quote-unquote discover it together with the government what does that mean for companies like Lockheed do they have some plausible deniability going forward
3: yeah again it's a really good point For, for me companies at Lockheed will be absolved of any responsibility because they are just they have just been a customer for the government that has, has bought a, a service or offered a service that they're being paid for potentially or you know they've provided a service so they won't have any official part in it and like you say, I think that's what I've went along with the the confirmation route that the, the people within the government now who who are part of the task force that I would, if I had to bet wouldn't have a knowledge of what happened 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 years ago and don't know that we have crashed crafts and because ignorance is bliss. So if they don't know, they can truly investigate and try and piece together what this is from a place of a lack of knowledge. And they are sure. generally going to the FBI, the CIA, the DOD, things like the Department of Energy. Tim McMillan mentioned on my podcast last year, I think it was one of the first times it was mentioned, that they would be a place he would go. And that's become quite a big thing now people have talked about. So if you're if you're heading up that task force, you you probably don't know what's going on. You, yeah. you might have heard snippets, bits and pieces. I'm sure they do. I'm sure that's what Lou heard when he was an A tip and, and found out and knows a lot more than he, he lets on, no doubt. But for me, I think they've been very clever at managing to push it to we kind of find out together. And it's it saves the, it goes from disclosure to confirmation. Even like NASA getting on board with, with Bill Nelson. You could very, very easily, again, imagine just in a couple of years, things are still ticking along in the background with the UEP task force. It becomes a thing now and again. We hear about different cases. We still get the ambiguous videos. We get the odd photograph and nothing's conclusive. And then one day, NASA tell us that they basically they've picked up something signature coming into the atmosphere. It's Arrived at, you know, X height, the Navy can then come out and say, yep, we picked up coming in from radar, dropping from this height to the seabed, and then went under the water where we lost it. That would be huge. However, imagine that was all we then got for like another year, two, three years, five years. Because at that point, it would be a case of something was there. We don't know what it is. It was likely intelligently controlled. Still leaves open the ET hypothesis still leaves open it could be foreign adversarial technology but it just moves the conversation on that teeny little bit and maybe gets more of the public but that that could be years away if that even happens and that that's just the way i think they're kind of going towards the, the confirmation side of things
4: Absolutely. I think if if that kind of information comes from a body like NASA, you're going to see a a real sea change in public interest and how people pay attention to it, just given the history of NASA and their public presence and and their kind of propensity for for public engagement. I totally agree with you. Um, I know we're running short on time, Andy. I want to hit you with one more thing um, really quick. You you don't have to respond, but uh, I hope at at some point in the future you're able to have uh, Mr. Ross Coulthard on. Uh, Is that in the works?
5: um
3: about seven to ten days he'll be on the podcast yet
4: i would love it if you would ask him to expand on his line of questioning to nat kovitz who was the former director of science and technology for the u.s navy um he was an older gentleman he referenced it on um uh, i believe it was on project unity um about uh the fact that he had been read into crash retrieval programs and to press him if he has any more information on uh mr nat kovitz's um credentials and if he had any affiliation with uh, Lockheed or any crossover, even though Lockheed uh, you know, works much more with the Air Force than the Navy.
3: Noted. And that will be in there.
4: No problem at all, Tim. Awesome. Perfect. Andy, great to talk to you, man.
3: Yeah, always a pleasure, Tim. Thank you very much. That was a good call from Tim. Interesting talk there about Crash Craft subcontractors, Lockheed Martin. And from that, we're going to move over to another uh, second-time caller, maybe third-time caller. We've got Luke. Luke, how are we doing? How's it going,
6: Andy? All right. Yes, very well, mate. It's very
3: well. Uh, I know it's been a hot and sunny day but, uh, today and yesterday for you. So, enjoying the evening, evening weather.
6: Oh, well, if I... Uh... If I accidentally swear because I'm uh, exasperated, <laughs> like please excuse my foul potty mouth. I'll I've, do my I've best got, to keep I've it to a minimum.
3: Yeah, I've got the water here, mate. I'm I'm staying hydrated in the in the studio. It's uh, still toasty. So you no, know, the, conver- <laughs> the conversation's been good so far. So let's keep it up. What yeah? What you want to talk about?
6: Um, <clears throat> the the thing that's really like sort of gotten to me, like over the last few weeks, um, and it was quite controversial when it dropped. Was the. Uh, the cosmic hoax and Stephen Greer in general,
4: mm.
6: uh, because it, Stephen Greer just keeps getting it wrong, don't he? I think. And there was a time when I had a, a reasonable amount of respect for him, and it just seems with each passing month uh, it's waning, and the the cosmic hoax just seemed like the the straw that broke the camel's back from my, for me personally um what about it what what was it that done it for you that you were really put off by it because because in this in this documentary more so than in his previous documentaries there were the the attacks that he were making were personal attacks against people who some of them I respect um Leslie Keane probably was the one which infuriated me the most because Les- Leslie Keane is a, an in, an investigative reporter, journalist, and she approaches everything, you know, with the same level of curiosity as we all do. She's got a genuine interest in the subject. And, I've, you know, I've read her book, as I'm sure many of the other listeners have Um you know, the UFOs about uh, military people going on the record. And even mm. if you look at the work that she did on that the, the six-part documentary series on Netflix, The Surviving Death, she's genuinely interested and genuinely curious. And she goes to a lot of lengths to try and find out correct information and present that to us in a way which is easy to digest and for people to understand and to really make people think. So for him to turn around in that film and tack her as some sort of agent of a psyop, um, and someone that's disregarded and, you know, disrespected him personally, I thought it was a real real cheap shot that was completely unnecessary
3: Yeah, do you know what, I, like I say I, I said that on the the breaking news one that I felt it was almost a, a rebuttal at people like Leslie Keane, that was a surprising one for me though, that she she was brought up, I expected Luella Zondo, Chris Mellon, Tom DeLong. You, yeah. know, you you expect those names to come out from Greer, but yeah, for, for Leslie Keane to get it in the neck from him was really surprising. And and that's not to say any of these people, including Leslie, are are flawless in, in anything they may or may not have done in the past, that they may have some kind of bias now and again in their reporting. And I think that's just natural. But yeah, I felt he was just making a point that all these people are are making a name for themselves. And ultimately, I feel he felt his livelihood had been attacked. And yeah, yeah.
4: Tom and that's group, not to say yeah. people
3: can't make money, but I, I've I've made it clear that I, I disagree with the way he makes his money um on yeah. this well, or he, the way well, he now makes thing, his money. And like, I
6: think there's there's a there's a there's a big conversation to be had with Stephen Greer because one of the things that I often think about is would the community think about Stephen Greer differently if he did his if he did, for example, his CE five expeditions and they were three hundred dollars. And it was an affordable price. And he was, I've got no objection with people making money at all because we all need money to survive. And if it's what he puts his time and effort into, that's fine. Like, you know, crack on. But if he did it for a reasonable amount, would we as a community have more respect for him? Would we hold him in a more high regard than what we do? And is that one of the reasons for his downfall? Because it just seems that that, those expeditions and the amount which he charges, which I think the last one, I got an email about it from uh, seriousdisclosure.com or whatever it is. And it was like $6,000 for a couple to go away. And you just think, how can everyday people, this isn't accessible to everyday people, and he wants to reach this breaking point of 1%. How is he going to get that by charging these extortionate amounts of money? Yeah. Like, I personally had the app, and I had the app going back, three years ago and when the ce5 film came out it just completely crashed on me and i had to buy the new one again and i it it just seemed like a really really underhanded money-making exercise and that was one of the things where i started losing a bit of respect for the guy Um, and then you keep seeing all these things more and more and more and then this cosmic hoax film just really pushed me over the edge. And it's a shame because it, if you think going back to, and, and again, this you may disagree with me or not, but I think that there's an awful lot of people in, that are interested in this subject that are interested in it because of Stephen Greer and because of the quality of the films that he's made. And if we go back to like Unacknowledged, Unacknowledged was a fantastic film in my opinion. And even if you take him out of the equation, I think a lot of the things that he said in Unacknowledged kind of matched what I suspected over the years to be true anyway um and that would be like for example has there been a a ufo cover-up since the late 40s after oswell yeah i do think that has there been a secret government within the government or a shadow government that have managed and locked down all this information and stopped it getting out into the public yeah i do think that is there will there be some black budget project which is working on back engineering this technology. Yeah, I do think that. And then obviously you've got the Bob Lazar story, which would kind of say that that all fits. And 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 then even going up to the Close Encounters film, um, the, the stuff to do with consciousness, even though it's, there's a lot of people out there that have experiences of CE5. I've never done it. I've never, I don't have the mind to meditate, if that makes sense. As much as I would love to say that I'm, I could meditate for 30 minutes a day, Um, I don't and I've never had an experience but there are plenty of others that do I think the message in the film the overall message about universal consciousness is a positive one even if the way he goes about it and then tries to sell an app at the end is absolutely disgraceful Um, so yeah he said said a lot of things which I, I think over the amount of time you could say yeah that fits for me but then all these other things lately are It's almost like he's, like you've said, he's like he's protecting himself.
3: Yeah, do you know what? You're right. And it'd be unfair to say there aren't a sizable number of people interested in this subject because of Stephen Greer. Um, Even with those movies going on to Netflix, that will have brought more people into the subject. Obviously, how how they're introduced can have an influence of what they look into and the the route they go down as well. I've, I've always been the same, that I keep a pretty open mind and I keep saying that, that I've got no issues that, something I think might be proved wrong or there might be times I have to change a line of thinking or I think A, B, C and D. Actually, I need to change C a little bit. But there's a lot of people who can't or won't do that. And that can be disappointing or frustrating. I think I've said before, I'll repeat it, Stephen Greer came into the subject with the best intentions. And as he grew in in name and stature, your reputation precedes you, you build a bit of a character almost. And that's that's been very successful for him, and and more power to him. I would love to make a living doing this. I would love to sit every single night hosting live Collins, you know, and pay for the software to do like like a Jimmy Church style show. Um, obviously without all the guitars hanging in the background, but that would be great. But I mean, right now I can't. But he's managed to do that. People at Jimmy Church have managed to do that, and others. Stephen Greer has a narrative. He talks so much about a threat narrative but he has the friendly ET narrative and it really bottlenecks the whole subject to we've got friendly species coming from other planets and they're really disappointed with what we're doing. We should all be nice to them and they're they're nice to us. It just leaves out so much more of the subject though. And I'll go straight back to the obvious one of, okay, what about abduction experiences because those aren't friendly? So there's just a lot of the subject he wants you to not pay attention to because it doesn't fit what he's talking about. And for me, that that takes you from being someone who's worth listening to. And there's plenty of people I listen to but disagree with. I mean, plenty, if not most people on the subject, because we've all got our own thoughts, feelings, opinions and whatnot. But he takes it from that. I listen to him, but I just don't agree at all because I feel he's doing it for a reason and a purpose. And it puts him in the same bracket as the Wilcox and and goods of the world. that that are in this because they're on the circuits and the cruises. And again, I I, it's not going back to making money from it because do you know what? Let's be totally fair. If Lou Elizondo was offering people for £5,000 a session to go out and chat with him out in the desert around a campfire about UFOs, I bet there would be a load of people would take Lou up on that offer. Like, and they would. So does the price make a difference? Probably. If Greer was charging $300, would that make a difference? Probably. But right now, he's got people willing to pay $3,000 and $5,000. And am I not right that he was offering $10,000 seats for what turned out to be part of that documentary? You know, whether in, I think, What Is His Home? And they're sitting in chairs. Was he not selling yeah. seats to that a while back um, as part of the anniversary of the press club briefings? So so this whole piece was a mishmash of other documentaries some uh, other footage, and as we've seen, it takes away all remaining credibility that he edited together various different witnesses and talking heads to sound like they were saying something they weren't. And uh, that would do it on anyone at all, on any piece for me. It removes the credibility when it's edited to to make something out to be something it's not.
6: Well, obviously, like the comments that came after... With Daniel Sheehan, you know, that, that needs that needs him to come out. And and the, this is another one of the things that, you know, he, he's really selective with who he speaks to. And I would have much more respect for him if he was to say, do you know what, Andy, I'll come on your podcast. I will sit here for two hours. I will talk to you and I will answer your listener questions. But he does not interact with anyone in the community. He's got his Twitter account and he'll put on a post. But it's, it'll be his yeah. team that are doing that for Look, him. I'll it's tell you, him.
3: I, I reached out to to Stephen Greer through Michael Mazzola, the director of his stuff, and Michael Mazzola passed on the message for me that I would like to speak to him, like to interview him. Got a lot of questions, and a lot of people would like to hear what he's going to say on various different accusations. Nothing.
6: It, it infuriates me, because if he, if like Lou, over the last... Certainly since the turn of the year when he's left TTSA, he has done. He has interacted with so many people, so many podcasts, and he's done so many interviews. At one point, it was almost like there was a different Lou interview every other day. Yeah. And he's given his time to sit and talk and explain and hats off and respect to him. And I don't think that Lou is part of any PSYOP at all. And I don't think Chris Mellon is, you know, I don't think for one second that those guys are part of a PSYOP. If there is a PSYOP behind the scenes, those guys aren't a part of it. Okay. Um, the, um, and also, uh, well, this is going back to the making money. He also pointed out Nick Pope as one of the people that was uh, sort of pulling the strings for the uh, the agenda on, on the Cosmic Hoax as well. And we we all know that, obviously, Nick Pope isn't, you know, his 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 background is somewhat stretched as it is so to pull him in Nick Pope is just one of these people which again you know you'd see him on ancient aliens or whatever but and he's he's stretched his CV let's be honest so to say that he's part of this great big cover-up and uh attack on what's going to happen to the people is you know come on mate you're clutching at straws there I really I, think
3: I am with you 100 on that yeah so Again, Cosmic Cokes for me At least it was free on YouTube That's that's one thing we can give it There was no charge for it As much as people mentioned it was a hour and a half long advertisement But that was a good call Look, I appreciate you phoning in again, mate Thank you, Andy Thanks for having us, pal Speak to you soon Anytime We will roll straight on to call number four for the call-in today i um, have got Nathan Nathan, welcome back to the podcast
0: Hey Andy, Good to be, good to be back with you
3: yeah and I was just telling you before we hit record as well that you were you were brought up by one of the other callers uh so you're clearly having an effect on people so that's always a good sign
0: <laughs> not always but hopefully sometimes
3: as on <laughs> as on this occasion um, so Nathan open line what you want to talk about
0: Yeah so uh you know today's an interesting day uh in the sense that I um, and, and I don't know to what degree you've been following it but there's been a lot of talk within Some of the communities on Reddit, UFO, um, the High Strangeness community, and of course, the, um, I think, the Anjali community about this uh, seven-year-old post on Reddit, kind of, you know, something's going to happen today in July 2021. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And it got me thinking a lot about the sort of religious kind of qualities of the phenomenon. Uh, And it also made me think back to Diana Pasolka's book, American Cosmic, because she kind of gets into some of that as well, that there's this sort of um, like new religiosity uh, surrounding the phenomenon. And, and in thinking about that, it sort of made me uh, reflect on a couple of those qualities in particular. So, the the sort of this notion of revelation, you know, that that what the phenomena sort of represents to humanity is a kind of greater knowledge of, of what is real, you know, the mm-hmm. sort of uh, we're in this world, and we don't quite have all of the answers. But there's something that seems to be able to do things we don't understand. So they therefore must have a more full picture of you know of the nature of our universe and our, our place within it, the nature of reality, uh, this revelatory kind of quality. But then there's also this sort of quality of uh, of salvation, right? So this uh, religious notion of sort of of, de- de- of a deliverance, you know, from our from our problems. Um, and obviously we've got a whole host of those problems. We've got war, we've got climate change, you know, disease, famine. And then I think the one that we all have to face at the end of our, at the end of every day, you know, is this, our, our immortality, you know, so the phenomena I think kind of to many people, uh, is this sort of symbolic hope that there might be something else, uh, that will kind of address or, or alleviate or redeem, us from these problems, um, and then I think the last thing about this kind of religious component, and hear it talked about quite a lot, uh, and that's this notion of oneness, this very sort of kind of spiritual uh, idea that we will have a sense of type of ego death, kind of be one with the universe, and and uh, and maybe have a greater expanded knowledge of of all that there is. Both in the past, the present, the future. So you know that it's interesting that today just kind of made me really think about those particular aspects, and I wondered, you know, if you have uh, ever kind of thought of it from the phenomena from that perspective, or is what draws you to the phenomena sort of more along the uh, nuts and bolts, you know, kind of uh, technology component.
3: Yes, some great points, and do you know what? It's funny. More recently. The, the thought has crossed my mind I've always been quite um opposed to religion in the sense that if people have a religion and they, they follow what they follow fantastic that's great that's that's for them and it's a very personal thing um how people choose to follow religions based on thousand year old books or even older than that is also you know again for for other people you can see why it's a questionable practice but it's mm-hmm. been going on for a long time. But recently I have thought myself, you know, for for all I question other people and, and their pursuit of religion, my interest in the phenomenon, UFOs, aliens, whatever you want to call it, is that just another way of being attached to a religious experience without mm-hmm. calling it religion? Because mm-hmm. you're you're putting your faith in something that you you don't know one hundred percent is is there. I, I would argue there's more proof of aliens than a god. Mm-hmm. But I suppose when when you look back at it, and it does go into uh, ancient aliens. I think has long lost its way uh, as being anything close to resembling a serious documentary or or show or, or on the topic. Right? However, right. it still has some basic fundamentals that it stretches hugely. But one of those is the idea of of ancient aliens. You know, chariots of the gods, Eric mm-hmm. Von Daniken's works. That a lot of these things we hear of from from bygone eras, thousands of years ago. Are just other entities from other star systems or potentially other dimensions coming here and influencing our planet? Right. So, is it just a, a different way of approaching the same thing? Much in the way that Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, you know, Mormons, any other religion is just an offshoot of something else. So, as I, I suppose, you've, again, I've just been talking about being open-minded, and I've got to say, do you know what? Yeah, possibly it is. And it's just how I choose to choose to accept this, and it, it goes back, like you say, you mentioned a lot of things in it, but ultimately, immortality, immortality, and it's a way of facing up that, you know, when you're done with this experience, what do you move on to? Oh well, mm-hmm. you just go into a, a cosmic soup, or you you reincarnate elsewhere, you live a different life, you ascend to a different evolutionary level. Who knows? But you can't really disagree that there's not a lot of similarities, which I, I suppose is fair.
0: Right. No, 100%. I mean, I have a kind of a background with theology and I, I went to school for it for a while. and then, But I became really disillusioned with it and uh, you know, moved away from that. But this particular topic has kind of brought me back uh, into um, maybe not a a sort of way of a practice of religion, but maybe a more open-mindedness to religious experience than I had in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what's interesting to me too, about kind of a lot of the talk that you hear from experiencers or stories that are shared about the phenomena, it's kind of akin to like the way Christians will talk about, uh, heaven, uh, you know, kind of in a traditional sense, like it's this place where everything is great and it's all perfect. And there's this oneness with with, with God, the creator, whatever it is. And what's what's odd to me is sort of the flattening of the experience, right? And that, that was always odd to me about the Christian sort of notion of heaven. And that's obviously like one way of conceiving it. There are many, I'm sure, different uh, Christian flavors of what heaven can be perceived as, but what, what my concern is a little bit about these stories is that the, the beings, these others seem to be very uh, kind of um, automatonic or very, you know, monolithic. You know, there, there's not really much difference between them. Like you hear about the greys, they just sound like clones. You know, you, you don't really get a sense in which there's a diversity of, um, of culture even. You know, when, mm-hmm. with the, with these types of encounters, so that's kind of it. If you think about that and reflect on that, at least for me, it sort of raises this odd question: as you know, why would we want to, uh, you know, kind of elevate to that or, or 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 kind of connect with those types of beings? They seem, quite frankly, kind of boring uh, compared to like the diversity of human civilization. You know.
3: Yeah, and do you know what I, I want to bring up a point as well? The one you, you mentioned the initially about the Reddit post that pointed out, and there's been a lot of things like this over the years as to mm-hmm. particular times or dates of events occurring. And it looks like, although it's there's various different times zones around the world, the 18th of July 2021 will pass with, will pass with no event, you know, ET related. Mm-hmm. Um, not unsurprisingly, but
2: would
3: wouldn't et or otherwise other species even interpret time the way we do we we invented Mm. the concept of time as we understand it so why would any species mention a date or a time if for example when lou talked on my podcast about this other species or other entities experiencing time in a different way would that even be relevant to them that in seven years what what is seven years to a species that doesn't experience time how we do right like the, what would the would that even be a notion or concept to them? That do you know what in a thousand years? Same with like calendars that predict the end of the world. It's it's such an an odd concept as well, and it's always I always find it really strange that people put a lot of a lot into numbers. But even like you know, okay, so uh, the world was going to end on the stroke of midnight twenty and into year two thousand mm-hmm. M- midnight where because there's there's a lot of midnights at that time through different parts of the world. <laughs> right. So again at what what midnight whose midnight counts what's the main midnight? Um again these calendars through the the thousands of years have been around from different civilizations have mm-hmm. changed and altered and we found out the Mayan calendar actually ran on a different cycle and it's I mean let's be honest we know it's mostly sensationalism for to sell books or to sell newspapers or whatever it was of the time or is sure. now but I'm always very wary of any dates or times being put on anything by a race that isn't human because right. time is time is made by us. This is, you know, 3 o'clock, 9 till 5, 24-hour days. Again, it's how the sun goes round, but why not when it goes round twice or why not half a day or, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's just a, it's such a human concept. It's one of those things when people talk about the phenomenon and everything's boxed into a very human way of looking at it. Well, why would a craft crash if it can travel across a galaxy? We automatically even date datify, if that's the, the right mm-hmm. phrase, some of these beings. Just because something could travel across space and time, does that automatically make them flawless? Right. How do we know and I I, I commented on, on this earlier, the movie District 9's a favorite of mine, mm-hmm. just for the idea that a huge alien craft with, with this incredible Technology so far advanced of ours arrives over the slums of Johannesburg, and it's filled with refugees that need our help. So there's that automatic issue of we would always assume an alien race landing can cure all of our problems, provide us with all this technology. You know, we don't know they landed in some awful, you know. Existence between us wipes them out or wipes us out just because of you know genetics or you know a yeah. virus or it's you don't know we, everything's very human and we just that's the way we look at it so the time thing always sits really really funny with me and I never expected anything to happen of course with the, the seven year thing but it built up a little bit of um of interest and intrigue. And mm-hmm. I just wonder if whoever created that account back then was kind of having a look today and smiling to themselves at the <laughs> the, the clicks they got. I hope they had advertising turned on for their posts.
0: If, <laughs> if that was a thing. Yeah, definitely. No, it's it's you know, it's it's really interesting. And I think that we um it's hard to take our, our individuality out of this entire experience. Right, so I know, I know you have kids. As I think you do, yeah. Um, and and I do as well. And you know, the older that I get, the more that I think about, uh, sort of less about maybe my own life. Obviously, my own life is still in front and center, and and my own mortality becomes kind of more into focus as I age. But but as you start kind of stepping back from you yourself, and you start looking at well, your children and your and then your and your parents and your parents' parents, and you, and you think of a other organisms that we, you know, sort of look at as like, oh, that's like an individual tree, but really the tree is is composed of a lot of di- different things, has a lineage, you know, uh, going back. And, you know, it, it's sort of changing our perspective on what it means to be uh, a species. You know, are we mm-hmm. are we these individual units? Are we bound by this single time? If we're not bound by time, if, if our species is something – uh, sort of more holistic, not not individualistic, then as you said, maybe time is not as uh, critical. You know, so you know things that we we might think, well, we're in trouble now. We need help because we have these cataclysms or whatever it is. So we need to be saved now. But this is such a such an immediate way of looking at it. And if if perhaps time is seen more as a picture mm-hmm. rather than an individual moment in the picture, uh, the, these sort of temporal concerns just aren't really that important, you know, to, to other beings in the universe.
3: Uh, I was just saying you made some really good points there. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on one thing, Nathan, before before you go, just for time. Um, sure. Joe Murgia had put out some tweets earlier today um, regarding some Farsight Institute studies and, and findings. And it was the idea basically over a series of tweets that we aren't ever meant to find out the truth about mm. the phenomenon and that it's always going to be close, but always just out of our reach. What are your thoughts on that, quickly?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Um, <laughs> I, I, frustration was sort of my feeling after reading that. Um, but at the same time, I think that that, I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we we need that to be true. And the reason why I say that is that, it comes back to what i said at the beginning of the chat and that's that this notion of of reaching a point at which you know sort of all things are known that all knowledge is is made present to us that that we are connected to everything if you think about that that's there's nothing novel there everything is static at that point all all things are known so there's something at least maybe it's uniquely human where we need to have New experience. We need to be curious. We need to t- you know go on adventures and explore. We need these things to feel satisfied. And maybe that changes if, if, after our human life is over. Maybe we no longer need those things. But in my mind, there's sort of um, some sort of inherent joy and value to this sort of diversity of experience. And so, if you think a bit from that perspective, not ever arriving is really a good thing, not a bad thing. There's always going to be more to learn, and that should not make us um, angry. It should make us excited. You know that there's a new frontier to pursue. Yeah, it's like playing a computer game or a video game, and
3: always finding there's one more level when you think it's finished. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, really good shout, Nathan. Great call as always, and please make sure you call in next time again. Okay, we'll do. Thanks, Andy. Great call there from Nathan. Uh, Nathan is also going to be on DJ's podcast, Life, MMA and NBA again soon. He impressed recently when he was on with myself talking about UFOs and UAPs. So Nathan's always a welcome caller to the show. And it'd be good to hear some more of you as well, because that was a really high standard. Next up, we have Jamie. Jamie, what do you want to talk about today?
5: Well, hi, Andrew. So what I want to talk about today is specifically regarding the UK and how we can move the conversation forward in the uk because i look at what's going on in the us right now and it's clear all the movements really happening on their side and there's uh you know silence over here and yeah. i mean i look at the part i look at the um the petition that was raised for by anna what, a couple of months ago i checked that earlier on today and it's still got less than 1600 signatures on it um I don't know if we need, you know, a big phone home, a UK version where we can speak about, you know, UK events, what's happening in the UK. Because I think if people are looking, you know, from a, you know, from a British perspective to see all this stuff going on in the, in the US. And I think if, if we could find some people who were off the same, you know, level, shall we say, as Lou, um, you know, our same respect from a military background, I think people in the UK might start listening, listening more. Um, and, you know, I, you know I want to have a conversation how we can how we can achieve that and how we can move the conversation forward because it's uh it's annoying looking from the sidelines looking across the pond and just you know seeing what those guys are doing and we're just sat here uh just waiting I guess
3: yeah and that's the petition by Anna Whitty and that was something that UAP media we were help both, all individually trying to promote and we had it on the UAP media accounts as well and I think it's just the british way and it's interesting you're not the first person to mention doing like a big phone home type type deal and i just don't think there's the appetite for it here in the uk and you know the the big phone home was what it was we've not been able to really see the impact of that afterwards um because uh, just how do you measure you know necessarily what that would be i don't think we've got the the volume in the uk here to do that I think what where we're at in the u k unfortunately, it's still back in the nineties. It's grassroots um trying to to write to your politician locally, even just trying to get the the press on side properly. We are again to bring up u a p media u k we are trying to engage with some journalists just to get some more credible stories out there in the u k and the yeah. press. Um, like BBC Radio. I've just been contacted again. I'm going to be on BBC Radio Lincolnshire this Wednesday on like a, a short live piece, and it's nice because. But they phoned me asking, "We want to talk about UFOs. Um, w- what kind of stuff should we talk about?" So uh, they're not contacting me to say we want to talk about this, this, and this. They were asking me what should the subjects be, which I mean that's that's great. They want me to tell them, but that's where the British press are at. That they're someone who wants to take it seriously but they're not sure what to say or what to ask. So they're reaching out to someone like myself to tell them, here's what we should be talking about. And I've said to them straight away that it's the lack of lack of action in the UK. It's the lack of any real coverage in the press. Uh, we're seeing what's being done in the United States to move things forward so much. And just the idea that it's being, you know, China want to, to take lead of things when it comes to the UAP subject to the UN. Some of that, no doubt, is posturing and trying to wrestle back control of, of a bit of narrative from the United States. Russia have still really to show their hand in any big way in all of this as well. So, yeah, you're right though. And from a UK point of view, it is frustrating. I just think we're still a ways behind something like a a big phone home. But maybe we need a different sort of event here in the UK. What I mean, what yeah, I mean so yeah, something I'll, I'll, I'll where bring you could you back in on that, Jimmy. Yeah,
5: something where you could sort of highlight. You know, if few- you. You know, sort of, uh, you know, key events, key stories, and be, you know, sort of documented in in such a way that it, you know it comes across as credible, and it's not the, you know, it, it, it's not that tin, you know, tinfoil hat view that I think a lot of people still, unfortunately, have a re- you know around this around this subject. If we, you know, we need to have that, we need to have our, you know, our TikTok video, shall we say, you know, that, that I think that's my view of of what we need, and I think when you talk about speaking to mps um you know i've wrote to my mp um and mm-hmm. i've got feeling that they they don't know they don't know much about it you know mps have got a lot of things to do that isn't you know they haven't got 10 hours 20 hours however long that you know that you that, you know that you need just a very very you know briefly scratch this surface into this you know into this topic and there's obviously so much conflict information out there and they haven't got the time to be able to, you know. They haven't got the time to be able to look at it, and especially if they're not getting people, you know, contacting about it all the time. There's a lot more pressing things in an MP's view to, you know, to be dealing with at the yeah. moment. And it's, I think mean, that that that's where the bottleneck is, shall we say?
3: And listen, we know again some of the guys at UAP Media have reached out, and there are a few politicians who do have an interest in this subject, but they will openly tell. You know, the guys we've got, uh, uh, their contacts, if you want to go with that. We don't like to go in about contacts and sources, <laughs> but we do have some. Of um, course. The, they, they, they openly tell us that they're not ready to come out and speak about it because the subject, there is just no appetite for it. It's still taboo. Um, I even wonder, you know, is something like the, the press club event that happened back in the early 2000s that Stephen mm-hmm. Greer led? Yeah with all those former military officials and whatnot, something like that in the UK, would that catch the press's eye? But again, what sort of level of questioning would you get at it? You know, it's going to be turning their noses up at it. It's The British psyche is very different to that of, of elsewhere in the world, that there's there's an arrogance there, that the subject's <laughs> beneath them. And, and that's what we have to kind of approach, unfortunately. And it's still like kid gloves. I, I am a little disappointed that um, a few weeks on from the task force report and all that build up in the states that from a UK point of view nothing on the surface seems to have happened yet Um, maybe that will still take some more time but maybe, I would hope, I hope in the background there are things happening in parliament or in, in various different groups within the military to take a nod and just say, do you know what, in the US they're talking about this, are, they're reporting on it, they're encouraging yeah. reporting on this and I'm sure from a UK point of view they would still very much be looking at it's it's probably US or Russian or Chinese technology. But just just to have an eye on the fact that maybe, just maybe, there's something else to this and it's something else they should be looking at as well.
5: No, I yeah, I I agree with that, Andrew. Um, you know, if that does happen, you know, the conversation can only move forward a little bit. Um especially if you had, you know, a, a press club style event. Um you know if you could get you know military people you know especially high you know high-ranking military people who are you know who've got the information um something like that would I think be what we need to to move the conversation forward but um the British military I think is very very well known for keeping its secrets um you know going right the way back throughout history um yeah and that, that's probably just part of being British I guess and um, we've very got to keep secrets so um I don't see that happening anytime anytime soon, unfortunately. No.
3: Um I I don't myself. But again, maybe some of the celebrities getting on board a little bit more. Russell Brand has a keen interest in the topic. Yeah. Um, he has a very much divisive personal brand though. You know, no pun there on his name, but <laughs> um that is still someone you would like to see talking about it. He's an intelligent guy. As well as that, Stephen Fry is someone I would love to see talking about the subject because he's very well respected here in the UK. Um again he's, he's you know he's a genius um he's someone who can talk about this in a really sensible level as well and speaks to a lot of different people in a lot of different classes and groups um so yeah there are people out there i want to see embracing the subject like has been done in other places but right now honestly i i feel we're we're 30 years behind still where where things are at in the u.s
5: yeah that's uh let see if there's a waterfall moment in the US that we can follow because eventually that will happen with the, I think, global media. Is it, something will happen somewhere. There'll be some story, some evidence will come out at some point that is 100% undisputable and it'll go around the world.
3: Absolutely. Jamie, good call, mate. Really good speaking to you. Make sure you call in again next time.
5: Yeah, thank you.
3: And last call on the open line, we'll head to Washington, USA, where we have Freeman. Freeman, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure. Listen, what do you want to talk about? The floor is yours. Awesome. Uh, well, I've been, I'm fairly new to the UFO kind of uh, community. I, I'm not like super new, but within the past year, I've been really getting into it. And uh, thanks to your podcast as well, I've really gotten really into it. But something that I've really like about this community is at least it's online presence. I use Reddit a lot and I'm not sure how well versed you are with the Reddit scene, but it's really cool. Um, it's really interesting seeing people go in depth and like really dive deep into the subject. It's not how do I say this? it's super interesting seeing how people work with the topic. Uh, It's not, I think people have like this idea of the UFO community kind of having these like really strange people just like kind of Hmm. accepting everything where like you have these people that will go on online forums and they'll type out these long stories about their abduction encounters and they'll send these photos of like, really blurry images and then people will will take it for face value but something that i don't think many people appreciate about the ufo community is how how hard people or i shouldn't say how hard people but like how driven people are to finding the truth in my eyes um if you have something to say about that
3: yeah no absolutely listen reddit's a A thing I've been aware of for years and just never really used very often. Um, I started to kind of dip into it a little bit a couple of months ago. And two weeks two weeks ago I done an AMA, which was really nice to be asked to do that. Um, and that was that was a lot of fun on Reddit. And the people were great and the moderators were great and that gave me the opportunity to kind of explore Reddit a little bit more and look at the the subreddits and the topics and how Reddit actually works and it gets a bad reputation for having a lot of like keyboard warriors um like like yeah. any kind of social media does but it's it is full of some really really well versed well researched people oh, some yeah, of the the, vid- the videos that get posted on there some of the the information the ideas that get shared um it can be really, really interesting. It's it's definitely got its uses, especially for the UFO community. And you're saying, Freeman, you're relatively new. How how far have you dove into the subject? Like people normally come into this subject with the question of are aliens real or are there craft from other planets visiting Earth? Where are you at with things already? What is your, what are your thoughts?
1: Well to go on that point it's really interesting because the communities online has uh they've really made me think more than i probably wouldn't uh would normally so going into the subject i wouldn't say i was like a firm believer but i i kind of got into the subject because of uh the joe rogan podcast and like all the UFO stuff that he goes into having uh uh Bob Lazar on was really cool and listening to that. And just at first when I got into it, I was really convinced about it. And then going into the online communities, it made me question a lot more. It was when I went into it, I was I wouldn't say I was like blinded by optimism that aliens and UFOs and all that stuff existed. But going into the communities, they they would do someone would post like a photo and say, uh, I don't know what this is. Can anyone else identify it? And then you'll see all these comments saying this. uh," Some someone will say this looks a lot like this optical illusion or someone will say this kind of looks like a plane from this different type of angle. And it really makes you think because it's surprising how little we know and how much we think we know. And then, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting.
3: And if if you have
1: so, being new to the
3: subject again, if you have friends who ask you about the subject, what do you say to them about hmm. it if they were asking you why you like it or how should they start get getting interested in it? What sort of stuff would you be telling them about? Oh,
1: this is great because this is about it. Something that I found useful is that with these online forums and these communities, you can actually bring up like information. So something that I like to bring to um, my friends, whenever they're like aliens don't exist, get that get that out of here. I'll bring up the um, Zimbabwe story. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, but I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's that one is probably one of my favorite and also most like. This is really interesting information that I'm surprised not as many people know about, um, because. I, I guess for a TLDR on the story, it's like, I think it was in the 1970s, like 10, 10 plus children and a couple of adults uh, say that they saw this UFO land in their schoolyard. And to this day, they stick to that story. Um, and it's a really interesting story. And I would uh, invite People who haven't looked into it to look into it—it's very interesting. But I bring that up to my friends all the time because it's a really hard story to dispute. Yeah, you know, I guess you can't really—it's you weren't there, I wasn't there, and my friends weren't there, so we couldn't say for sure. But it's very interesting to say and see what the reactions are because it's like these are children in thirty plus years, and also adults in thirty plus years—they haven't got—they haven't gone back on their story. And it's the same. And they also brought in like, I think it was like Harvard brought in like psychologists to like, look at the children and the psychologists as well say, this is abnormal, to say the least. And this is extraordinary. And so I bring this up to my friends and hopes to maybe make them think about it, at least to, the ver- uh, to make them think about it.
3: Yeah, yeah, that, that story again for me, like you say, the fact that the, the children were filmed at the time recounting what they saw and the, the pictures that they drew. And interestingly, like you say, now as grown adults, their stories haven't changed. Yeah. But more interestingly, some of the adults of the time who were teachers have since come out more recently and confirmed that, do you know what, we did see something. They, di- they said they didn't at the time. And they said they were pressured into lying about it. And now they're more comfortable and they, they actually feel guilt that they said the children of the time were wrong or they didn't see what they saw when they could have backed them up. So that's why stories like that for me are fascinating. fascinating. And, I mean, you would love for something like that to happen in a more modern time or modern setting, as scary <laughs> as it might have been for the kids. Not that I want to terrify a whole group of school children, <laughs> but there there is like an innocence to that and listen those school children these days would have had camera phones on them so that could have been interesting
1: of course because it's just so interesting to see i guess people trying to cope with the idea that this is a possibility that what we know isn't necessarily everything and that's Mm-hmm. Be a hard reality to grasp. And it's interesting to bring up to my friends and other people that I know that this is a possibility. And it's just, yeah, it's just interesting to bring up to friends because they're not really sure how to respond. They just have to take a hard look at themselves and wonder what do we not know? What is out there? And I think that's a question that everyone has to ask and has to wonder nowadays with especially with new information coming out all the time it's just amazing how much people put into this and how devoted they are because you'll see people i i know with you know how there were like early leaks of certain videos um i i, I always mm, forget like yeah. what they're nicknamed but on reddit they'll some of these videos will come out like months before they're officially released and it's just amazing how much people are putting themselves onto these subjects and really trying to look into it. I'm not sure if you heard about this, but the Black Vault recently confirmed that the um, the classified UAP report was 17 pages long, which isn't like a whole lot of information, but it's interesting to know. Um, it's just, it's amazing what people are willing to do and what they're, uh, how much they're devoted to the subject. I yeah, if you
3: I did see that, and John John Greenwald does a lot of great work in in terms of FOIA requests worldwide. Mm. He is the guy. He he does that. I don't believe it is seventeen pages long. I <laughs> I believe I believe the classified executive summary, which was just the summary of the classified section, was seventeen pages long.
6: Oh, and the, was actual, the
3: actual classified report is about seventy to seventy eight pages long. But oh my. that's, that's that. what Lou Elizondo says. There's a bit of conjecture, um, and I think we'll probably find out more as the days and weeks go by. But I, I made the point online sure. that even if the classified section was one page or a 1,000 pages, it's all to do with the context and quality of what's in those pages. It could be a 1,000 pages of, of nothing really important, or it could be one <laughs> incredible sentence that just makes the whole thing. So, that's that's the main thing for me. Listen, Freeman, that's all we've got time. But listen, thanks for calling in. I love the fact that you listening to Joe Rogan has got you onto <laughs> the UFO subject and onto the UFO community. Make sure you call again next time and make sure to keep telling your friends about it as well. Will do. Thanks for having me, man. It was a blast.
0: Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a Meditated game of full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there it was. Like you awake, I was about to abduct you, cuz. I back nearly like, kissed myself and then I climbed out the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. I helped up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, and they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should see therapy, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.
4: Consider your lies. Consider your lies.